What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. On today's show, Candace Chavez Wilson. The intent and the law is to ensure that the death penalty and that life without the possibility of parole would not be imposed on people who did not intend, aid, or bet, or cause the death during the commission of a felony. SB 300, it's not even saying that the judge could still decide that he wants to give him a law. He certainly could. It's not taking that power away at all. It is just allowing him to have the option to say 25 to life would better shoot this case. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. We're going to spend today looking at two pieces of California state legislation that in theory, would reform conditions for incarcerated people for the better. First, Senate Bill 300, authored by Senator Dave Cortez out of San Jose. SB 300 would change the circumstances under which someone could be sentenced to life without parole or LWAP. We are joined by Candace Chavez-Wilson, a member of Fuel Families United to End LWAP, an employee of the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights, and your husband uh, is a commuted LWAP, correct? Yes, that's correct. Yes, um, I am here uh, representing Ella Baker Center for Human Rights, um, but this is also very personal to me. Yeah, and we're going to get into your personal story in just a bit. Uh, but first, I want to play a piece of tape. Uh, wanted to bring the attention to our listeners about some of the ways that life without the possibility of parole or LWAP can be handed down. This hits right on the head of the issue that SB 300 is fighting to change. On July 6, 1999... Brian drove his friends to a motel party where they hung out with another group of young men in the pool area. Everyone was getting along, having a good time. There was a quick exchange of words. The situation escalated and turned into a fight. During the fight, one of his friends was getting beaten up pretty badly, so his friend's younger brother fired a shot and ended up killing someone. Because of the unfortunate events that unfolded that night, the DA wanted to charge Brian for murder, which means they had to find an underlying felony in order for his charge to stick. The evidence against Brian and his group included a broken chain necklace found at the scene, along with the witness testimonial citing a line that the gunman shouted, Break yourself. With this evidence against them, Brian and his group were charged with robbery. Brian did not shoot a gun. He did not have a gun. He did not plan to murder anyone. He did not aid in a better murder, nor did he have intent to murder. In our justice system, a person in Brian's situation can still be given the death sentence regardless of all the aforementioned facts due to a penal code 190.2D, also known as special circumstances murder. Intent to kill is not always required for this enhancement charge and is an automatic sentence to life behind bars or death. Brian unfortunately received the death sentence for reckless indifference to human life, an enhancement term that most people do not understand, a term that is not explained well under its own penal code. So what exactly constitutes reckless indifference to human life? Brian's participation did not inflict any major damage, and yet he is sentenced to die. Brian's sentence is actually more harsh than if he had actually premeditated the whole incident. Candace. Let, uh, first of all, your reaction to that piece of tape. Oh, the Brian story. That's, it's, it's really compelling. Um, and I think it's actually very frequently what happens in a lot of um, LWAP cases, particularly 
when there's more than one person involved. Um, it's really easy for the DA to prove the special circumstance rather than proving just murder. And it's very easy to apply that when you have something that's like an underlying felon, felony of maybe like a stolen um, item or, or robbery. Um, and it's heartbreaking that the young person's life is now completely altered because he will never have the opportunity to earn a parole eligibility date when you were sentenced to LWAP. So it's very sad. It's a travesty. It affects so many families and the impact. It just has this ripple effect. And it really is not, I think, allotting the correct amount of, and who's to say really what the correct amount of punishment is when there's a crime and a victim involved, but to sentence all of the defendants to the to a, a life sentence of, of death. You know, life without the possibility of parole means that you're not getting to be eligible to have a parole date ever. No, no I, I'm glad that you talked about young people, right? Because a lot of folks that get sentenced uh, to LWAP are like the average age, right? 25-ish, um, who then languished in jail for, for decades. I got a letter um, from a brother uh, who was, who, who robbery, and actually there, the victim, there was, there was no physical harm, uh, $17. Uh, he, he took, and he has been in prison for 41 years. Um, in addition to... Uh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Statistically, uh, folks sentenced to OWAP are either youthful offenders, which is under the age of, of 25, um, or their um, their year at the time of the occurrence was 19. So, like, there's, I want to say it's like over 40%. Um, it's a very high statistic of of people who were sentenced to LWAP being first-term offenders and also being at the age of 19 years old. Um, and the, and a vast majority more would fall under that youthful offender um, age range of under 25. 68% of people who were sentenced to LWAP are either Black, Latinx, um, um, or you know Latino. There's a high propensity of for women who were sentenced, um, who are survivors of domestic violence, and we're actually trying to protect themselves from their abuser. And it's, it's just astronomical that the way that the law is written and the way that the prosecutor and that the charge can be made, that it is easier for them to charge a special circumstance and to charge under felony murder than to actually charge them as the person who who was the actual killer. Um, SB 300 is a really modest reform. It is addressing, in addressing this sentence, it is something that is not, um, it is prospective. It is not retroactive. Um, it would give discretion back to the judges wow. to be able to decide um, at sentencing if all the people in this case should receive this sentence. Right now, that discretion is taken from them. All right, Candace, talk a little bit more uh, in, in specific details about what SB 300 would do if it succeeds so the intent and the the law is to ensure that the death penalty and that life without the possibility of parole would not be imposed on people who did not intend aid or bet or cause the death during the commission of a felony so in the brian um, mason case his intent was to be at a party be with his friends he did not know that someone was going to be robbed. He certainly did not know that somebody was going to be shot over, you know, a, a necklace or, or this robbery. But because he was there during the felony, which is the robbery, and someone died, he was 
uh, sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. In his case, SB 300, if it existed, it would allow the judge to be able to decide that, you know what, sir, you with your friends, you were doing this, whatever, there's evidence, blah, blah, blah. But LWAP is not the appropriate sentence. So I'm going to give you a sentence of 25 to life, which is still a very harsh sentence. It is what people get for 187 murder. Um, it is like the harshest sentence, you know, and then you get your LWAP and your death penalty sentences. So it's not and it's not even saying that the judge could still decide that he wants to give him LWAP. He certainly could. It's not taking that power away at all. It is just allowing him to have the option to say 25 to life would better shoot this case or 15 to life or whatever it is. But it's being able to look at that individual's role and hold them culpable for what their participation was in that, you know, in whatever happened. And right now that is taken away. Without SB 300, the judge's hands are tied and the judge has absolutely no power to give any other sentence except for LWAP. And that's a travesty. And, and the law did not used to be that way. There was a change in the law that under special circumstance felony murder, that was taken away from judges. So SB 300 would restore that discretion. It would restore it and it would allow judges to be able to give a sentence other than LWAP. And in many, many cases, if you, if you listen or if you meet commuted LWAP, they will tell you at their sentencing, the judge said, I, my hands are tied. I have no choice but to sentence you to this because this is the way the law is written, because this is how the DA or the prosecutor decided to charge you. You you mentioned earlier that this is a modest uh, reform at best, right? I'm an abolitionist, so I'm like, this is a very modest, modest reform, certainly not radical reform. Um, but but a couple things. One, there's no way um, to force, you know, to know that judges are not going to continue to impose LWAP, right? A lot of judges are very conservative, uh, particularly when it comes right. around so-called violent crime, right? They, mm-hmm. They're elected <laughs> for the most part, and so they're playing mm-hmm. to a particular constituency. Um, and there's certainly a backlash right now, right, in, in any type of reform around our prisons, jails, the way that we do public safety in this country. So that's the, that's my, my first thing I would like you to react to. Secondarily, it seems like there would need to, you know, should this go through, it seems like there would be uh, a need for advocacy at the district attorney level, right? Because they're the ones that make the recommendations. They're the ones who decide what to charge with. They're the ones that actually have the power to even divert people um, from even getting to a place where there is a sentence, Correct. That would be correct. <laughs> that is also a whole other path we could go on if we want to talk about the district attorneys um, and prosecutors. But what you know, what I what I will say is that you know they are elected um, positions. Um, we we do um, have meetings and we have coalition work that we do in trying to work with you know progressives, um, district attorneys. So that they're aware of this, right? So that they're able to kind of look at um, the whole person. You know, there's organizations out there that work with participatory defense tactics and really kind of build um, a, a really great like case for that person that's being charged with this so that the district attorney can kind of see in a more well-rounded way. Um, Prosecutors Alliance is, is a great organization that um, is is working with different coalitions and supports um, SB 300. Um, so they're aware. I mean, it's it's really about making people, I think, aware of um, the gravity of this, and that's something that also does not happen when you're sentencing and with the jury. The jury is never explained. 
right, what an LWAP sentence is. Um, I have a loved one who's a public defender, and I have even asked him, I said, do you know what LWAP is? Do you know what this is? And he was like, no, I don't know what felony murder. I'm like, how can you be a public defender and not know that? How did you go to law school wow. and not get taught that, right? Or at least the, it, yeah. I mean, and he went to a very good law school. And so I'm like, I don't understand. How do you not know that? But I also kind of think, well, you learn so much and you're being taught so much. But you're, but if you're going down this path of, you know, criminal law, how do you get to know that? How do you get to understand that? Well, it's by meeting people and it's by learning and it's by meeting the families. And it's by diving, doing a deep dive so that you really have a a immersion into what the impact of what you're doing does, right? Because at the end of the day, whatever the prosecutor's done, whatever public defender has done is affecting the lives of people. And, and they're not, they're not aware of that. Right. And so it's by educating the prosecutors, it's by educating the public defenders and it's by educating even the family members. I mean, a lot of times, many of these families, like in my own case, the, our family, my in-laws had never encountered the law ever Ever, ever, ever. My my father-in-law is African American. My mother-in-law is Korean. My he grew up in South Carolina. I mean, he encountered the law, but he avoided the law, right? Like he, there was, you know, we we just do not encounter the law. And so when this happened to my husband, they had no idea how to maneuver. And so many families have no idea how to fight this, how to garner support how to be able to explain to the public defender or to any attorney that like th this, this is a travesty and to, you know, you also don't, you know, go into plea deals and go into a whole other line of things, which a lot of times people We're are to offered. bring you back for those conversations, <laughs> Candace. We are just about out of time. Um, and I want to give you, you know, 30 seconds to, to say what the call to action to community is. Where, they, where can they get information uh, if they want to uh, join y'all in your efforts? Like, where do they go? So they can go to Felony Murder Elimination Project um, it, website. You can Google it. You can go to Drop LWAP Coalition, um, CCWP, California Coalition of Women's Prisoners, Fuel Families United to End LWAP. We all have um, websites. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, by any of those handles, and you can get involved. Um, you can also write your assembly person and your senator to vote for SB 300. Um, it is in the final stages. We do. It is a two-thirds vote. We do need 54 votes. Um, so you know, right now we have until August 31st to make sure that this this gets this gets passed. And we're hopeful. And and it's radio stations like you. It's people like you helping us being our allies and giving us a platform, right? Because five years ago, people weren't talking about OWAP. No one really was talking about people were talking about juveniles, but they weren't talking about anyone who was 18 and over. So thank you so much, Kat, for giving me this opportunity, our organization, and for really giving us this time to share and, and to get our information out there. Uh, Candace, you know, anytime uh, I look forward to having you back on the show and we will be tracking the progress of this bill. Uh, you have a great day. We've been joined by Candace Chavez Wilson, a member of Fuel Families United to End LWAP, an employee of the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights, and her husband is a committed LWAP. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about our topics and guests in this episode's show notes. 
Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis. That's D-I-S. And subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>